T-Bone is on the other side. T-Bone is on the other side. T-Bone Brackets Podcast on the other side. T-Bone Brackets Podcast on the other side. T-Bone is head to tone, originates, opinionates. T-Bone musicality, originality. Side. T-bone, Prime Cuts, the talk space where musicians matter. Welcome to T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the Other Side, Episode 3. Today's guest, Mike Skill of the Romantics. Today we'll talk about how he got started playing music, the formation of the Romantics, their first recording contract, of course, one of the songs that he wrote, What I Like About You, Talk about the In Heat album, Talking in Your Sleep, the city of Detroit, and then what I'm really interested in, his soul music. He's got a song out with Wayne Kramer of the MC5 and several other soul songs we'll talk about today, all on T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side. Without further ado, here's Mike Skill. Well, welcome to T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side. Our guest today is the guitarist, Mike Skill. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, T-Bone, really well. So far, you know, considering the situation. Right. I haven't been able to be able to get this caught any, but. Yeah. <laughs> At what point did you decide to start playing? Well, um, of course, uh, Animals and the Kinks and Beatles and Stones were coming out. Kinks and Animals were kind of a little bit of a second wave. Right. Like uh, Beatles, Stones, Dave Clark Five. Then uh, not much longer, a little while, uh, animals and kinks. And that really kicked it in for me because they were more garagey, a little raw and um, more, a little bluesier uh, than the Beatles. But um, I just picked up guitar and just started playing to the stereo, my little record player, you know, after I learned a little bit. But uh, uh, I think like uh, late six, mid, mid to late 60s, 67 or so, 66, 67, I, I was just banging around on it. And uh, my, my mom finally got me a good guitar, a decent guitar. Uh, like a hundred twenty dollar Gibson, uh, one twenty five. I think it's worth like two twenty five hundred dollars now. I don't have it, but uh, a one cutaway, one pickup, and I had a band uh, that played like the little high school thing. But I had, I had uh, got out of school in June when I got that guitar, and I taught myself to play by September. When I went back to school, wow. I learned all. I just was like right direct into it. So the seeds had come out. 13th floor elevators, all that like middle, kind of garagey kind of uh, uh, psychedelia stuff started happening in 66, 67. And that's what I was learning. And uh, them with Eric Van Morrison with Baby Please Don't Go and uh, Here Comes the Night and the, the Yardbirds and all that. Early Yardbirds, the early Yardbirds becoming Jet Led Zeppelin later. And I just uh, really zeroed in and learned how to play and formed a little band, then uh, moved to another area uh, I was the east side of Detroit and um, moved about a mile away and went to another school, high school, and uh, met Jimmy, the drummer from uh, Romantics. Right. We had like a little combo then. I, the other band, it was like kind of the guys, some of the guys got girlfriends and they were spending more time doing that than, than wanting to rehearse. So, right. uh, and I was all about the music and uh, met Jimmy and it just took another level. It was another level of players, a little bit, a little more. I was getting better, and uh, we were playing uh, Notre Dame High School. Used to have uh, like Ted Nugent and uh, uh, Seeger played there, I think, and I think uh, SRC Scott Richard. Oh yeah, in the Frost, which is Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter, or Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter was friends with with them in Saginaw. And uh, I know you just did an interview with him. Right, he's a great player. I mean, yeah, guy, cool guy. And uh, so we played the high school. The high High school dances at a Catholic church and we played the little stage and around the corner was a big stage for the big Detroit bands that were happening and I was learning still so all through that and uh, just be learning how to write learning how to play and learning how to really gel uh, 17 years old we moved to the drummer's basement then we moved from there to uh, we're three-piece meet Jimmy and a guitar player then the thing back then in Detroit was bands would get like a storefront and they would throw up egg cartons or Foam, we had foam all through the whole thing. It was like a right. dungeon, like a dungeon. It's all easy to hear the word. 
<laughs> I was there all, we were there all the time, you know, after, after uh, I had gotten out of high school and uh, after work or the guys would show up or we'd show up, it was at the end of high school and, and, and after that. Um, we'd get there about five o'clock and we'd go till 10, 11 o'clock and we were there all the time. And this is where we started writing our own songs and recording them on little four tracks and stuff and doing a show here and there. From that, uh, we were kind of like, uh, we were really into, we really loved hearing, uh, we were, the Lou Reed thing and the, and the Monte oh, Cooper yeah. thing, the glitter thing was happening in the, in the 70s, early 70s. Detroit was like defunct, no place to play. Uh, all the 60s uh, bands, no more, like the five were split up, MC5 and uh, Iggy was, they split up and they were in uh, LA, he was in LA, just hanging out. Shoot, it was like a vacuum, it was like, Nothing was going on. There was no place to play. It was. Uh, it turned into bar bands playing, just cover music. Then you get into the middle to later 70s, uh, the punk, punk scene happened, and New York was happening with uh, Max's Kansas City. We were reading the magazines, Hit Parader, about Max's Kansas City. And L.A. was, uh, Alice Cooper was living in L.A. by Iggy, and there was a whole glamour thing kind of going on where the movie stars were hanging with rockers. So... That kind of added to the whole glitter thing, glitter thing, the glamour, the glitter, glitter rock thing. Then the new wave thing starts happening uh, in New York, and then the, the punk thing happened. So that whole thing kind of amalgamated, and we realized, wait a minute, we can write simple songs and do what we did, like what we learned from in our youth, along the Kinks, right. Stones, our real, really to the earth, because we were looking for a lead singer all the time. We need that Rod Stewart. We need Mick Jagger. We need you know whoever, Janis Joplin. Yeah. We had, a, we had a girl that was like a female Iggy at the time. No one had that at the time. But wow. This is 74 or 5. But uh, we learned that, wait a minute, we can do it. So we started learning how to, you know, write, sing it, and then write lyrics and all that thing. Really complete songs and really uh, move forward with, it, with a, a look and a sound was because of the new wave and the hip parader and New York and, and um, uh, Detroit energy and then the punk attitude. Um, I was our big Ray Davies, Dave Davies for sure. Fan. Oh yeah. And, and um, the Kingsman, I love the sound of the Kingsman, the guitar player, Mitchell, uh, Mike Mitchell, who lives down the street from right here. Oh, wow. And uh, I, should, I should give you, a, you should get a hold of him. Yeah, I should. From Louis, he played on Louis Louis. So during this time, how, how did you come up with the idea to form the Romantics? Anyway, the whole idea for the uh, Romantics was, uh, was the jam and the the jam came out there? Their black black suit with white and black and white shoes. It was really a streamlined look, the model. Yeah. And then uh, Flame and Groovies would do the Beatles thing, and that really like just boom, the light went on, and that's where Romantics thing started. Me and Jimmy, we found Wally after and uh, Rich after. So when did the Romantics get their first recording contract? And that whole thing, we just started writing. I brought a cassette tape in, and uh, we wrote a lot of songs off that cassette, and. Uh, started playing clubs and uh, the rest is uh, three years later, we got signed to a deal in New York because we kept going to New York. Uh, first record came out, uh, it went up the charts uh, in the tops, top 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, what I like about you, me and Jimmy wrote and uh, came up with. And it was like, it wasn't like nothing that we thought was anything. We just played it live all the time. We went and recorded in uh, Florida and what I like was on that first one. And uh, I mean, I'm leaving out that we were on Bob Records for a minute, but uh, the major label signed us and uh, uh, those three songs like hit the top 100 and fell off the charts. People think that I get uh, asked about uh, uh, what I like about you being a big hit. Like what, what did it do on, you know, went up to number one or whatever. It never got past uh, 50. Yeah. It's like 74, I think, or 47 and, uh, on the chart. But when it started falling off, they wanted us to do a new record right away. And, um, we were still on the road and uh, we were playing the Whiskey A Go-Go. What I like about it was climbing the charts in Holland and Canada and Australia. And guys from Holland had uh, contact management and uh, the band and they wanted to do a video in Europe, in England precisely, and Holland and those, those states right around France and all that, Eastern, uh, Western Europe and, and Britain. How, how did you guys record that iconic video for What I Like About You? They, they always still did videos from uh, the 60s. The bands would have sent videos and who would do a video, send it in, they played it on their dance show in TV right. show. Those were still going on. So they they wanted a video for us. We were at the Whiskey A Go-Go. We were going to play there uh, 
that night, they had called a week or two before, they came in, they flew in with like one camera. They wanted to do what I like about you video. And um, so I told them, we kind of got together. We, I, I expressed the fact that it should look kind of like hard day's night, close, really close to the face. Oh, yeah. Really dark, black and white, not look black and white, maybe color, but black and white. So it had red in it. But um, And he shot us close, really close faces, singing. And then he shot back a little bit. Then he shot, shot far away. So that was it. Like in half, half hour, it was done. Probably cost him a flight and, you know, a cassette of uh, film. <laughs> and uh, then, we, as opposed to later, we're spending $20,000, $30,000, dollars on videos, which was crazy. And that's what, was, that's what you were supposed to do, I guess. And it got out of control. And then, as luck would have it, MTV happened. Right. Video went to Holland. It went in, it went to the top 10. It went to number one, I think, in Australia. I think it went clip, clip, either number one, what I like about you, in Canada. But in the U.S., it, it fell off the charts. Uh, let's that's, see. that's one of the things that, that even, even me, I was surprised when I saw that it only it went up as high as it did. You, you, people automatically think, oh, well, that went to number one because you've heard it so much. Yeah, we, we were on we were on Emperor Records. We were on like CBS or Capitol right. or Reprise or we were on a custom label of a custom label. It was Emperor Records, was a custom label of Epic Portrait, which was CBS. So we had to go through the channels, but we had a good our management had good uh, uh, talk, good meetings with them, and forced the issue. You know, the band really had a, a good track, a live band that played. We played. We were such a great live band. It, it helped us in, uh, we could we could jump on tours with, uh, we were jumping on with Cheap Trick before we were signed, Ted right. Nugent uh, for a couple of shows and, you know, uh, Jay Giles, uh, the cars. So we were, we had a, we had some money in our pocket or some, 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 something used for the label. Tell them how. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. We had power. We had some power. And uh, so what I like about you happened. And then every, the three songs told to carry what, uh, when I look at your eyes and what I like about you started falling off the charts. They immediately wanted us to go the, into the studio. We had just finished the first record, not more than a year and a little bit at, before that. And that's like, okay, you've spent that three years doing that first record. Now you're looking at an empty sheet. Yeah. What, what do you do? Uh, okay, so. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see yeah, that that first record came out in January of 80. And then the second one was December of 80. I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was, they really rushed it. It seems yeah, like. Yeah, and and I had to deal with that writing-wise, personally, you know, mentally, and oh, oh crap, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know. And then the band too, as as much uh, jamming together and getting together, putting stuff together. It worked out. I mean, I got through it. We went to New York. We recorded the first two albums. First album was in Miami. We went to New York for the second record, which was uh, in our studios. Uh, that was Billy Joel and a lot of people. Oh, yeah. All from the 50s, from the 50s on. Great studio. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name that ran it. And we, we set up more live. The first record was really, uh, we put the amps in a quarter, uh, like a half stack Marshall or, or a high watch, and we put a quilt over them. And mics were on, and they're on four. You know, the volume was on four. So I was like, oh, God. You know, pre-production, I was we did pre-production for a month, so I was kind of ready for it. The next record, we wanted a more live thing. We've been playing out with bigger shows, so it was a bigger thing. It was the next step to a bigger thing. Before that, it was all clubs. We were set up straight on like live. Uh, there were mics close to the amp, six feet, 12 feet, and then room, room mics. It was just an experiment. I mean, just it worked, I guess. And uh, from playing with the Ramones and Cheap Trick, we were like, it was we had that really punk attitude. So songs were fast. The new songs were like more up tempo. If you drop yeah. them down a little bit, they're a little more digestible in a way. They aren't live. You're not on live. You know, you put it on at home. You're not in a live situation. But so I, I kind of wish that we'd pulled back a little bit. But songs really have a good edge and attitude on the second record. But I had to come up with that really fast, uh, and it was really a terror. <laughs> Finishing it, learning all the solos, learning all the writing, all the solos, writing all the guitar hooks. All the uh, all of us came up with melodies occasionally, or uh, or one of us, or two of us, or three of us. We were set to go. They wanted us to come to Europe. They wanted us to do Saturday Night Live, but we had already booked to, uh, Australia. Oh. And so we went to Australia, like not more than a couple. I think it was a couple months after. Okay, you said December was a record. We yeah. went to Australia in February, so we rehearsed about a month. And I was still learning solos and what I did. Usually I could, I would write a solo and I could uh, 
like compose it, uh, jam, jam with it live on the first record. Second album, it was more precise solos and I wasn't doing, staying on top of it quite as much. So it kind of hurt. I was not up on it on the first tour, but the first show, but um, it came out, we got out. I was fired, but uh, for inner turmoil and uh, turmoil with the management, of course, money. And uh, then there was turmoil about creative uh, uh, projections, future, and, mm. and what the cover should look like. And I, you know, being an artist and a rebel kind of punk attitude, I was always really pushing for uh, moving forward, keeping, right. keeping things going forward. Not always look, not always wear every album wear leather suits on the cover. So, and I definitely wasn't going to wear pink suits on the cover. <laughs> I wasn't on that, but that. They, so I was out of the band. They recorded a record. It, it toppled over. It sank. Didn't do anything. Thing. The label wanted to bring in a songwriter for the band, and uh, either that or get me back. So I was called about a year and a half later. And uh, well, here, let's let's hold for a second here. People know you as a musician, but I want to talk about you as a writer, and then we'll then we'll jump into in hate because it, that's that one made a major impact on me. You know, let's tackle that after the break. Supporting T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the Other Side podcast gives you interesting inside views from the talk space where musicians matter. Go to tbpcpodcast.com and click the donate button. All contributions are much appreciated. You know, a lot of people don't know how much you've written and have been a part of. I mean... How early on did you start writing? Well, you know, I think it was happening even when I was listening to Paul Revere and the Raiders' Kicks and the the uh, the guys that did Gloria, uh, Van Morrison and Shadows of Night. Right. Those three, four chords, Louie Louie with those four chords and the Kinks, you really got me until the end of the day, today, especially. And the Beatles were so refined that, you know, I think there was a thing after they came out that it got raw because not everyone had four singing three, two, two great singers in their band, you know, right. and then they were, they were writing from a fifties style with a sixties and then um, their own modern version of Everly Brothers and Buddy Holly. Well, I had, I had just this raw garage stuff going on and that's what really the simplicity stuck with me. And when we, we came through our learning all the Led Zeppelins and the Rolling Stones songs and all that stuff in the seventies. And then we went back to that, what we originally, we went back to our original roots and that's what clicked with me. I could write this stuff because I know the King songs. I know, I know the simplicity. I can write a guitar part, and uh, you can pull from a lot of areas for that melodies and, and right. just jamming, you jamming, you you sing, blah blah blah, and get rhythms. But mainly for me, it was like the guitar hooks and the like the little parts that go on top of the structure of the song, the little uh, Pete Townsend stuff that goes on top of uh, yeah. Substitute. Uh, the, the the little hooks that go on top of uh, Rolling Stone songs, the little Keith Richards intros to uh, Street Fighting Man, that rhythm. I always been a I started out banging on stuff, and I almost was right. drunk. So I had that right hand really shows a good guitar player. I think. Yeah, yeah, right exactly. Hand is the master a guitar master is on the right hand for me, and that's rhythms. I always hooked in with uh, Marinos and, and drummers. So that's really what it is. If the drummer came here and started playing right now. I wouldn't think about if I was in the right state of mind, I just picked up a play, I would have a few parts. It's not hard for me to come up with stuff. And uh, so then it's just really set it aside or continue on with it and start uh, banging out little voice things and melodies. And now I'll put them on, I'll put them on the phone. I'll put uh, the phone. So phone's not too far ahead. I'll set the guitar on the acoustic and I'll just bang it out. I'll I'll go out for uh, walks a jog or a bike ride and I'll have the, I'll plug it in and, or I'll have a song in my head and I'll start coming up with uh, titles, melodies, courses. That's, that happened with 6149, that record. Right. All the records pretty much. Uh, the earlier ones was more in the studio uh, and at home. I would bring, what I like about you is at my house and my dad's outside on a fall day that was warm and then going to the studio was freezing cold. My mom dropped me off early. I had no car. Uh <laughs> get there, Jimmy's there, I start banging out the chords I had in the day, and it was what I like, it became what I like about you, because he, 
you know, we, we all, me and him kind of ran through it. And then the other guys show up and here, listen to this. Here's yeah. another one, you know. And then later I'll come up with the intro, you know. So it, 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 it's really about, for me, just a clear head, uh, pick up the guitar. And, and if I get stuck at something, I might go to a piano or uh, something like that. So but it's based on not so many, not so much as songs, but um, uh, vibes of songs. Like I would bring Wally, I go Wally uh, or Jimmy. Uh, just this kind of like minds you, I'm kind of thinking of the, the, the Hollies. And then oh, yeah. like so we'd start digging uh, melodies in a certain way, not necessarily a song, but a, a certain sweetness or a certain, certain darkness, you know, depending on which way you want to go. So they, they put out that third record that didn't do so well. And then they wanted, you said they wanted to hire a writer or hire you back, right? Yeah, the label, they were going to drop, I guess it was about either drop the band or continue forward. And we're, we're going to search, you guys need to search for someone to write with you because they had to do their record which was a completely different sound than the original Romantics. And then uh, I guess the, uh, when I talked to Jimmy and that they, they were going to bring in a writer or I was giving me back. And uh, I'm not sure if everyone was into that, but uh, Jimmy, I guess was, uh, and the management was, they dollar signs were there too. Right. So uh, I uh, put together a thing and we came to grips with it and uh, came back and I came back on bass and guitar. So Rich was out and I was in because uh, Rich wasn't a songwriter. Rich, uh, he, he, we'd show him bass parts. We'd tell him, you know, he, he, I'm sure he can write songs, but really, right. a rate that we worked at, it was uh, it was like instant. Like things would happen. Here it is, is this, this, you do that. Jimmy, what do you got? Well, that groove doesn't work because we did that already. Or, you know, anyway, so the label wanted someone to help him or, and I came in and I had been listening to, uh, at that period, uh, the new romance thing was coming, new romantic thing was coming out of England. Spando Ballet, Duran Duran, XTC was coming up. Uh, well, they had been together longer, but they were getting big. I like loved XTC. Uh, what you call it from Australia? Uh, In Excess. Oh yeah. Up around that time, uh, that sound was different. It was changing. We were there. We were the raw Detroit shit was. Sorry, the raw Detroit <laughs> shit was early, and because of that new the thing that was coming out of. I was listening to a video. I was watching the videos and. Uh, and listening to what was coming out in England, plus you had the clash, but production got a little more bigger, a little more refined. And so I came in with stuff that was more, we loved Roxy music. So a few oh, things, yeah. we had that kind of in our way back there in our mind, but we still were that Detroit band. So we couldn't change that much, but it had a little more refined production, which I wish was a little more raw, but it worked and it sold and you can't fight with that. And, um, it, it came out, what was in us came out. So, you know, Nick Lowe was out at the time. That was a little bigger, better production. Um, but all that new romantic stuff was blaring on the radios and on video. That, and that influenced the In Heat record, I think, in some form. Uh, I had the bass line for, uh, I got it back in bass. I played bass after I first learned guitar. I go, oh, bass player. <laughs> Turn the tone off on the guitar. So right. Bass, you know, for one of my bands. and. Uh, I finally got in the bass and learned, uh, spent a summer just learning uh, parts on like uh, Cream, when Cream first came out. Oh, yeah. The Vox bass and, and then McCartney on uh, on uh, Sergeant Pepper and all that and all these earlier stuff. I, I would learn that stuff. And uh, so I was pretty versed in bass. I could do bass. I'd done it for a while. With guitar, I, I think there was a lot of angst and I wanted to really do it again, guitar. That's why the that energy on the first Romantics album. Uh, I hadn't played guitar for a while. Uh, in a band and then so I think we needed to be they dropped rich kept the other guitar player that came in uh cause and I was doing both writing and a song talking in your sleep bass line uh, a few years before I had a little bass line like I had and I played it at the pre-production when the producer was there uh pre-production you just break down all the songs and make sure you got all your parts right a month before you go in the studio and I had played that for him and made a little jam of it but it was just a jam and all the other songs were done in the studio and we needed a 11th song. And he goes, what about that thing you had, that bass line, that thing you were doing at the studio way back when we were rehearsing. And so, oh yeah, okay. So I played it and uh, I showed him a couple things. And uh, then we kind of like went, oh, well, what about this? What about that? And uh, Jimmy got the lyrics pretty quick. I think he was going to sing it. Jimmy wanted to sing it really bad. It, it didn't work out that way, but uh it was the last song we recorded, and the guy that worked at a 
uh, black cat that worked at a studio um, with the equipment and keeping everything cool. He goes, man, that one song, that last song you did, that's a, that's a hit. That's a hit. I know a hit. And he's been around since, you know, we're at Criteria Studios in Florida. Arita, Allen Brothers, James Brown, been through there. Because I know them all. Yeah. Goes, that's a hit. I go, we go, nah, well, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was right. It took off. And uh, we ended up at Soul Train and uh, doing all the, radio, the TV shows and that. And uh, it took off. Dick Clark, I remember seeing you on there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you never know. You never know. What yeah. do I like about it? It's just a song we played at Bookies, you know, you know, and all the little clubs around Detroit. The, uh, that baseline and in, in uh, talking in your sleep, that's just everything. <laughs> that is what stays in your head. That's yeah. The, the, the initial thing. I mean, um, yeah, you just got coming up with the initial thing. That's the hard part. Keeping right. it simple and not getting in front of your, in your way. Sometimes I'll have a lot of, do a lot of, have a lot of simple and I'll go wait, but I should go back to the simple way I was doing it when I first came up with it. So the songwriting is just like a, it's like a, a toss up, you know, you just kind of, there's a lot of little things that you could use to uh, keep you in the right uh, shape for a song, you know, in the right uh, state of uh, uh, inclusion or pulling stuff out or a lot of times the groove really helps me. Uh, so, but uh, melodies and uh, yeah, I'm get, it's still working. So I'm not gonna, I don't, want, I don't like talking about it too much. Right. I, don't, I don't like explaining it because you know, you don't want it to slip away. So. But I tell people now, they ask, I tell people. I, I graduated in June of 83 and they came out in September of 83. And so that was actually the first album of yours that I bought. And, you know, I went, I went back and bought the others, but I, I bought that one first. And I, I just remember hearing Rock You Up and being knocked out. Yeah, I had that. When I came back in the band, I had that chord structure and they had something similar. It's two, three guys, the three guys that were left before I got back in the band. They had something similar in another key. So we just kind of went boom, and then I go here. Here's another change. You need another change there, and then uh, it's just everything kind of just like boom. There it is. I can't explain it. Sometimes you can't like Keith Richard ta talks about it really good. It just comes out of the air. Right. You have to be open. You have to open your antenna. You just have to open to it. Why don't we talk a little bit about your new solo stuff and what kind of inspired that? And you use influences. You know, I, I like going back and listening to a lot of, of course, you know, a lot of the blues stuff. And I consider my new stuff, I'm doing garage, garage blues. It's like a garage band doing blues, kind of like a little different than the Black Keys. It's got a little more Detroit energy to it. It's a lot more Detroit energy. Right. The style of uh, what I come up with now with my band Pretty is like almost a garage blues Detroit. And then 67 Ride is totally like a MC5 meets uh, uh, Detroit and a Hendrixy kind of thing. But uh, it's a lick. And I, I was, I, I love 67 Riot and then that you got Wayne Kramer because they just brought it all together yeah. because, you know, the stuff they did and then having him play on that too is just, that's just a great song. Thank you. It, 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 well, you know, you know, we lived through, um, I lived through 67 Riots, you know, on each yeah. side, I went to high school, you know, there's National Guard in the, in the street and helicopters, Hueys in the air and uh, they're on the corner down the street in jeeps and with their whatever they were shooting machine guns and that and uh and we're we were like uh we're on the east side far east side it was downtown you know how far that is and that's like what five six seven miles yeah seven seven miles or so and uh the tv had it like they were gonna like rebels riders were gonna come right into our neighborhood and the news, you know, Bill Bond's news. Right. It was uh, so everybody was really freaked out, and a lot of people moved to the suburbs. And a lot, a lot of people left Detroit, and that led up to that thing in the seventies with it, you know, the decline of the city and uh, and the gas crunch and the auto Japan, uh, right? And unions falling apart with Reagan and all that stuff, and and here we are, uh, rock musicians in Detroit. And there's nowhere to do it in the seventies. That's what sixty. Uh, that's what. Uh, I alluded to in um, got you, We've Got Your Rock and Roll, like Detroit, We've Got Your oh, Rock yeah. and Roll, You've Got Your Rock and Roll. It was that time when there was nothing downtown. Musicians and artists were the only ones going downtown to uh, Clutch Cargos or the Park uh, Park City Club in, uh, in St. Andrews, early St. Andrews, and uh, uh, Cass Corridor, the clubs on Cass Corridor, right. White started. And that's what I write about. Cass Corridor was just like sirens and nothing going on in Detroit. And... Uh, and here we're looking at the stuff going on in Hollywood and the glamour stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of talking about uh, Detroit. You can always rely on Detroit. It's always got your rock and roll, but you know, it, and it's kind of for now too. But uh, so, and, uh, 
67 riot was just uh, the five had uh, Motor City's Vernon and right. Johnny Hooker had Johnny Hooker had a song I think uh, I think he had a song about some riot, riots he came up in the 30s and 40s so I'm not sure what it was called at that moment so I'm always going back to the, the blues cats the, the kind of the 50s guys uh, Buddy Holly sometimes Everly Brothers, Brothers sometimes for melodies thinking in my head uh, but then it's really uh, the new wave punk thing, Detroit, and uh, and the garage rock. So, and you know, if you pick up another guitar, or if you have an open tuning. Oh yeah. If I pick up another guitar, something else happens that the other guitar doesn't. Right. You know. And uh, anyway, so uh, we did Australia. Came back. I was out, and we went on to do uh, In Heat record, and uh, uh, we did a couple more after that. Jimmy left the band, and. Uh, and uh, we've still been on the road since the 80s, you know, up until last year. I mean, we were every year. Yep. Every year. So this past year was like, a, you know, it was quite different. You know, why don't you tell us a little more about 67 Riot? Because that's just such an important song. I wanted to capture that thing, that vibe thing, because they did Motor City's Burning. And, and I'd been thinking about it since mid-2000s, uh, maybe even earlier about doing a song about the riots. And it so kind of slowly came together. And then it came together when I was in the studio. I, I got the turnaround, the bridge, and the, and how I sang the last verse differently from the first two verses. Right. That all happened in the studio. So the studio is kind of my canvas as well. I'll get something and I'll get in the studio and then, oh, wait, well, I can do that there, you know, that kind of thing. 67 Riot was done at a studio here in Portland I had. My son was going to school at a, a little school out in the woods so far. Oh, 10 miles from downtown Portland. And uh, and we drive over there every day and uh, drop them off. And there was a music room. They had a music room and nothing was going on in it. And they started doing music classes for the kids. It wasn't a regular school. It was a charter school. Okay. And, uh, anyone could go to it. And um, it was like, at first it was like 70 kids down to 30 or 40 kids. My wife was running it. And with uh, the other late, other mothers. And, uh, and I uh, went in there and I built a little control room. And I asked them if I could do a little studio. And I, so I had a, it was a double wide mobile home thing, office, like an office thing, mobile home and uh, empty. And uh, I brought, I built a little control room, uh, maybe 10 by nine. And then I had the whole room with the drums way back in the corner. I had the engineer just lay down here. I go, I want this beat and it's gotta be like this, just straight, straight beat. No really much fills. And that became the, the, uh, the base for uh, 67 Riot. I, lay, I laid down the bass groove and then started building on it. Delays, uh, there's three or four tracks. I was using a, a Marshall, a, a half stack Marshall, older 800 and uh, older speakers, in, uh, 35 watt speakers in a Marshall. So it was, it was pretty loud. I had six, that's pretty loud. On a Marshall, you know that. Oh yeah. And then I had, uh, I had four mics on it, I, uh, two close up and two far away. So it's four, if you listen to it, Sometimes you can hear some of that. Uh, then I dubbed dubbed over stuff with uh, a smaller one over there. I have over here somewhere. This is my little studio here. I have a little studio. Uh, cool. It's full of stuff. I've got a bunch of stuff in it. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to clear it out because I'm redoing the, the uh, interface. But anyway, um, so I overdubbed and I, I did a lot of stuff over there. A lot of that stuff I had uh, up until last year. I uh, gave it to uh, Chuck Occasion Chuck over at uh, Pearl Sound. And... I had met him and he said, send me some stuff. I sent him a whole bunch of stuff and it was all the stuff that I had been releasing. Uh, he he remixed and mastered. I did some stuff in Chicago with Brad at King Size uh, with Mike Hagler. Mike Hagler uh, uh, works with Brad in, in Chicago. And um, I would come off the road, go to the studio there and lay down stuff for some of these songs. So I did, uh, I did Not My Business, uh, Carrie Got Married, Dark Side of Your Love, My Bad Pretty, and uh, and got, uh, got Your Rock and Roll in the last, uh, well, some of them were in two years ago and a year and a half ago, and then the COVID hit, and I just started releasing stuff. There you I'll do the same this year. I think I'll, I'll start releasing more. Uh, the record uh, album, it's, I was supposed to get out early, but I don't want to hit January, February. It's kind of a busy time for records. All the time is now, but um, I think spring, early spring for a new one for the new one with everything on it. Right. So it'll be five or six of those songs that I've released and then five or six new ones that no one's heard. So. Right. 
Yeah. Now, was, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I've been talking too much. <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to ask you about Carrie Got Married. I, I, I love the fact that you, you know, had the update kind of on Tell It to Carrie. That was, that was pretty neat. That happened. Uh, we played uh, Michigan International Speedway, and and uh, oh yeah, and uh, Brad and Chloe, his wife, who's a musician, they have an uh, outside band together, uh, the Handcuffs, and uh, they drove from Chicago, and on the way back, she started coming up with Carrie Got Married. She goes, Mike, this is a perfect song for you guys, and I presented it to the band, and it didn't it didn't get recorded or anything, and then I was doing my stuff, and I go, how? Uh, I had a recording of it, I did in Chicago, edited. She gave me the chords. I added my sound to it, my guitar playing, my the little hooks. And I sang it. She, I forget how it happened. Uh, I ended up singing it because I, I, I had been working with Brandon Chloe as well, doing other stuff. But this one I sang. And then I brought it in for this project. I just said, uh, Chuck, check it out. This is really good. See if you can uh, update the production, uh, the mix. So uh, he did. And uh, she came up with the lyrics and I came up with the hooks and guitar and backups and the vocal. I've actually got another song that'll work for a triad, a three, I forget what you call it, a would be another carry thing. But oh, it, wouldn't, really? it wouldn't mention the name, but it would be like a three. A trilogy. Yeah, trilogy. So that's next. Uh, it, uh, I forget what I called it. What was I calling it? I can't remember what I was calling it. But uh, that's another thing. So I might release a single set with just those three songs, tell to carry or an EP or something with, with something like that. Cause I grew up with the, you know, with the stuff like the who and all that, where they did, he would do stuff like the beach boys. And oh yeah. He would do those little, little projects that on the side. That, that's kind of a cool thing. And oh, by the way, on, on the 67 riot thing, yeah, we got Wayne Kramer and then I really wanted to get him and I was afraid to ask him and I didn't, you know, I, you know, he's our guitar idol. Oh yeah. So to speak, him and Fred Smith, Fred Sonic Smith. Yeah. Uh, the two guys in the five and uh, it just came, I, I either wanted to, I wanted there's a way to go I want to do another mix of it as well with Wayne but I want to do like the five would have done where you put that jazz sax on the ending where it's going out and it's just a wild freeform sax thing so I'm still thinking of that down the road because that was kind of the sign of the times back then uh, kind of that freeform avant-garde jazz and the chaos of the riot uh, Wayne Kramer I called him and he was gracious he goes send me the song he heard the song he goes I love the song he goes, uh, send me, send it to me, uh, the, the, the seat stems. And uh, he got to it uh, on his studio and uh, sent it back and uh, Chuck mixed it. And that was it. And uh, wow. we didn't mess with anything. We just don't turn it down. Don't do anything to it. Just it's, it's Wayne, you know? Yeah. Ah, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that. And uh, he says, uh, I played with him. They uh, MC50 played Portland and I went on stage. He has he asked me to come on and play, and uh, he, you know, he told me uh, pick a song on "Back in the USA" or uh, or "High Time," and that was like that was crazy hearing that from like pick a song, uh, whatever one you want to play on. So we did "Sister Ran" in Portland, and uh, yeah, I saw that so video. Yeah, send me more songs. So I've I've sent a few things. Uh, I've sent one thing, and then I'm gonna send a few more. Great, but yeah, that's one thing, uh, and I like working. It's, it's kind of becoming the thing with the pandemic, but I always was thinking this. I want to work with musicians in Detroit and other musicians. So it's going to be part of my whole, you know, what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with romantics. It's, uh, it's the pandemic can't get us on the road right now. So, but uh, this whole thing's taken off and I love it, man. I, I like uh, the response I'm getting. And uh, one thing I missed uh, was the way Kramer, the 67 Riot came out on a 45 and I went to, uh, third Man Records, and they helped me with the packaging, which is incredible. Uh, I, I redid the label, uh, it was the A Square label, the original label, the first MC5 record came out. Oh, on. Wow, and I copied that label. I, I called up Gary Gripshaw's uh, 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 wife, he passed away, and asked her if I could use it. She said, Sure, Mike, whatever you want to do, I go, I'll do whatever you want, you want to credit, whatever you want me to give you. And uh, she had, actually has an artist, a girl that uh, works with his artwork and brings it up and uses it these days today okay different things and so i really took the lettering used my name and wayne's name and uh the sleeve i did the sleeve like uh the first uh looking at you record oh, I think yeah. it was. and it was a live shot i did a live shot the flip side uh, the, flip, the flip side's a live shot that's uh, like a 60s art kind of thing my son did it mick did the artwork and it's really a cool package it's really a cool package it's 
it's available on mikeskill.com. I have to say, if you want it, there's uh, it's still available. We only did 500 copies, but uh, 500 or 1,000, I forget, and and it's getting thin. So, yeah, I was going to ask you where, where where can people go to buy these these recordings? And mikeskill.com is the best place to go. Yep, mikeskill.com for all the music and uh, all the songs and uh, and all that streaming stuff. You know, all the sites from Spotify to Bandcamp to Amazon and you know, you know them all. I know yeah. you know them all, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now the, uh, I was going to ask you about, we got your rock and roll because I've been listening to that a lot. Is that, that's the most recent one? That's the most recent one. I, uh, I came over here and I got uh, the guitar part and then, uh, boy, I didn't know what I was going to do on the vocal. And uh, I got in the studio. I had the two or three, four verses. That I, I always have extra verses just in case. One doesn't work. Finished up the idea. I got the arrangement. I got the bridge. I started the bridge part. Then the, the chords for the music, uh, the chorus fell, fell in. It's kind. Of, it's almost. It's really almost like an ACDC rhythm in a way. It's my style. It reminds me of. See, they go. They got a bluesy thing. ACDC's got a, a bluesy yeah. sometimes. So it's like down in that wheelhouse, and it's got a great rhythm on that chorus, and uh, it's really good. So it keeps it going. Sometimes you have a verse that's really good and the chorus can drop off on the guitar, but I try to keep them, you know, where one picks up from the other. And then I got the lyrics, I got in the studio and uh, I did the lyrics with the engineer over at uh, Chuck's place and he did, he did some mixes. Man, they were hot. They were so hot. I told him, you got to back them off because it was sounding like uh, it was just a little bit too much. I wanted to come back so it had kind of the more of the five energy, the Detroit energy, right. instead of a modern hard rock metalish whatever sound i want to still have that 60s 70s thing. and i think it came out pretty good and I, I didn't want to do as many i did three parts with solos i was going to have uh, some other stuff going on and i just said forget it. i'll just do the solo after the second verse and then in the ending it goes to a solo and then it goes into a rap at the end about uh, Detroit musicians. It talks about Iggy. It mentions Iggy. It mentions uh, my friend Robert Matthew, who is a photographer uh, for in Detroit and uh, for everybody in rock and roll. He passed away a few years ago, and so I mentioned him. Uh, Sonic's Rendezvous Band, uh, Niagara's Band, um, Destroy All Monsters. Because at that time in the '80s, they weren't really known that well, but I wanted to bring it into the now. Yeah, uh, that was stuff I was listening to in uh, you know '70. Seven and eight, nine, eighties, and and beyond. Sonic trying to ruin that, and uh, we did a lot of shows with Fred. Actually, uh, the thing is, the next thing I want to do is I want to do a a, a rave up horn part. I'm going to do like a Stones would do on, a, on the ending. So I'm, oh, really? So it would really work really good. Yeah. Back and forth with the guitar and keyboards, and that's the next release. So yeah. I can keep them out. I can keep putting them out with different versions. Yeah, I, I used to talk uh, to Scott Morgan a lot about Sonic Rendezvous Band. He, he would always come in my store and get strings and everything before he had, would go over and tour Europe. Yeah. Another big band for me, too. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and going back to your, the, all the bands that influenced you, or this seems like a lot of them are the same bands that I liked, like the Kinks and the Who and the, you know, and the MC5. Yeah and all that. Well, to me, the five, I think you might see this. I don't know if you ever thought of this. The five, I think the energy of Detroit really influenced like the first Led Zeppelin album because they were coming to the Grandy Ballroom and seeing the five and the Stooges and all oh, that energy. Yes. I think I hear that in Communication Breakdown. Oh, yeah. Hear, you know, you hear it, the guitar tones and stuff. Of course, Scott Morgan, I, I mean, I've talked to him in the last few years. Uh, that's on my, my wish list. Next wish list is working with Scott. He's expressed interest in I, I don't want to wait too long. I want to get get going and, and work with him as well. Uh, either send him songs or something. I don't know what the group. I don't know what. But uh, Scott and and you know you know as well as I uh, with the guys from uh, Detroiters Detroit. That was a that was a big influence. Oh yeah. Uh, with uh, Scott, was it uh, what's his name on that too as well? Uh, Steve. Steve Hunter. Yeah. Steve was in that with uh, the other guitar player. Yeah. Oh Jack. well. I don't think he worked with Dick Wagner till the Lou Reed thing. Isn't that uh, amazing? The Lou Reed thing. Oh Just, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, it's there's a perfect line with uh, MC5, influenced by Yardbirds and the the dynamics of the Who, with all breaking everything, right? Right. The Yardbirds and the feedback, 
the guitar, the whole guitar thing. And then the five just took it to another level. The factory town, the noisy town, the smoky Detroit, dirty Detroit at the time from the car factories, factories. They just took it to the other level. And jazz was huge. Oh, yeah. The 30s in Detroit. And then they would take that avant-garde jazz and they were just mixing it up. The Grandy was like a was like a, a, a birthplace for like a growth out of that. But all this like really raw anarchic kind of stuff. Stooges on stage, you know, vacuum cleaners, peanut butter, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I just missed out on that by about 10 years. I, there's so many stories. And I wish I could have went there. Well, I heard all the stories about this next day because I was uh, 15, 16, 17. I didn't have a car. Or oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a, and I hear the stories from girls at school that went. <laughs> and in high school. You know, I wasn't going there. You know, they're hanging out with Terry Reed, right? Supporting T-Bone Prime Cuts on the Other Side podcast gives you interesting inside views from the talk space where musicians matter. Go to tbpcpodcast.com and click the donate button. All contributions are much appreciated. The line I was getting at is the double guitars. People don't realize Fred and Wayne their parts, they would do a Chuck DeBerry part, uh, would be like this, would be, yeah. And that's right. what I was doing on, on uh, so and they, those, those little parts, the five were known for that, and then came the Almond Brothers. And the Almonds were, were doing it the same way after they heard uh, after they took uh, Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, yeah, they were like American Fleetwood Mac. They doubled it up like the, the guitars on the MC5 to me, and uh, whatever. That's that all makes I, sense. Now. I hadn't thought about that, but that all makes sense now. So it goes right down. The, yeah, five were really an orchestrated band. Those parts, if you listen to, uh, they do uh, what's the James Brown song? Uh, women, uh, man, man. Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's um, uh, a James Brown song. Yeah. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, with a woman or a man um, uh, song. The man's world. <laughs> this is the man's world. They do yeah. the guitar duels in that. It's really good. But uh, anyway, so Detroit, the line back. I mean, look at all the stuff that's come out of Detroit, all of it. I mean, musically, just even for jazz, the jazz stuff to the blues stuff to uh, the rock and roll, it's, it's still there and uh, the lineage is still there and there's so many groups with the Ruiners and Jack White and Hives and all, you know, all, I mean, all the bands. Oh yeah. It's still coming out, they're still coming out. All the young bands are still doing it in Hamtramck and I'd say it's happening, it's, it's really something. I, uh, yeah, I, I've, I saw so many bands, you know, downtown or in, in Hamtramck, like you say, or wherever. And, I, a guy that you play with, a guy that you grew up with, I think was a, I've seen a lot of Bobby East. I've seen him several times. Yeah. Um, he was in one of the bands I was in when I was out of high school. He yeah. Was, I, I, went to, I went to a free concert at Belle Isle and he was playing and it was like, uh, he, had a, a, he had a stack of uh, Univox. I think either Univox was Jeff Beck and they were playing like uh, Beck, Back Bogart Abbasy, they were playing those. They were playing those songs. Oh yeah. And uh, so he had his Black Last Fall, and I got his number immediately after show and uh, call him. And then he ended up coming over. He was with us for quite a few years. We wrote, we wrote a lot of songs together. I brought him back in when I played in Detroit. He's just a man. I love the brother. He's my brother from way back, and uh, yeah. and I always respected him and other guitar players around Detroit. You know, I'll use it. We'll be get together again coming up uh, when we can when we can do it. And uh, I have. Uh, the, what's his name? Mike Marshall. He was with the mutants. You know, oh yeah. On Detroit and uh, yeah, and so on. And uh, uh, yeah. what's it? A uh, Ricky Rat too. Ricky, I brought. Uh, I not a lot of people knew about Ricky Rat out, outside of Detroit too much. He was with the uh, Dead Boys. He filled in uh, a couple of years ago. And I used to see him with uh, with uh, what you call it? Uh, what's the other group? He was with his original group. Uh, oh. Um, Trash Rats. Oh yeah. They were like. Detroit's raw energy, crazy New York Dolls. Yeah, 
I've seen him a few times here in Indy. You know, he, he was usually playing with somebody else or part of a double bill or something. I've seen him two or three times here in Indy. Well, I always recognized he was a really good rhythm and guitar player. Good, you know, yeah. good sound. And um, I don't know if people noticed it or not. They might, they should have, but uh, I think they did in Detroit. And uh, and I see that, saw so that it could fit in a song I was doing. And I didn't want to do my style on it. I wanted to have some other thing on it, too much of me on it. But uh, so I called him and he played on uh, Not My Business and it was great. It turned out really good. I got to get some more songs to him. So I got to get in the studio again. But, um, well, this is exciting to know that you've got, you know, five or six more songs to put out. I, you know, because I, I just thought maybe that was it. But, you know, and you're going to put them all together this year, right? Yeah, I got to get the album out. I mean, it's no use. I, like Brad was saying, there's no use putting EP out for a couple hundred dollars more. You can get a, put on an album. So that's next. Uh, I hope to get that, get into that manufacturing of it in the next few months. I, I hope that's two or three months and get it out in spring. I've got the tunes. Uh, I got more tunes to record. So it's just, uh, you know, when I'm in Detroit, you got to come by or something. Uh, or you're not in Detroit now, but you're not too far. Yeah, my sister still lives up that way. So I, I go up there sometimes, you know. Well, I'll see you in Indy. And, uh, well, I, I want to thank you for this because this, <laughs> I, 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 played it off but this is big for me i mean i went to the in the summer of 84 i went to the last uh show the in heat tour i was in the fan club the you know the whole bit and this is a it's been great to get to know you and uh i'll make sure that everybody goes to mikeskill.com and they can buy stuff there and I'll, i'll make sure to put the link up too yeah thanks it's all cool and i just love talking to you and uh going out some information while I'm doing this stuff uh, on my own with a few other cats, good musicians in Detroit. Yeah. Cats here, uh, Fortnite, I, got, uh, I do a little like a blues here, kind of garage blues thing as well on the side, just for uh, fun in the studio. Uh, I don't know what that's going to do, but uh, I love acoustic blues. I'm thinking about doing something like that. Oh, so yeah. A garagey, a garagey kind of acoustic blues thing. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to finish this record on and then move from that. And, uh, and keep going you know this is something this is uh it's meant to be and uh keep going forward i hope to run into you sometime down the road definitely well thank you so much for this and we'll catch up with you down the road i really appreciate it and uh keep on take care man okay uh, you too be safe be safe and uh uh we'll see you later okay thanks what We'd like to thank Mike Skill for all his time today. And be sure to go to MikeSkill.com. And be sure to go to TBPCPodcast.com and click that donate button. We'll see you next time.